0: San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe.
1: A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it?
0: I did it because I was foolish.
1: Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on revolverpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik
2: and
0: Kenny Florian. Oh,
2: my God!
0: You want a
3: podcast? Great.
0: We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts,
3: John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, what a weekend. Madison Square Garden, UFC 217. Good to be back with you Monday, November 6, 2017. Thank you all for being here, as always, episode 130 of the Anakin Florian podcast. And I hope we sound clean. A few technical difficulties off the top today. I mean, no sense lying about it. So when I'm here in Ken flow right now, it's a little choppy flow. Um, But it's good to see you nonetheless, man. Sorry we couldn't break bread in New York. Obviously you had uh, VIPs and everything else. And uh, I had to settle for just, you know, a few minutes at, at the damn Fox media lunch.
4: Oh, man. Uh, I mean, what a weekend, dude. What a weekend of fights. I can't wait to get in with it. But first, I want to talk about this John Annick director chair behind you. What? What is that? What is that? What, what's going on here? You, are you director now? Are you a producer? What, what, what is this?
3: So uh, I moved that <laughs> into the shot with the soul. And, uh, of course, our audio listeners, we apologize. We have gone a video with Fox Sports right now. And we promise we're not going to talk a bunch about what people are seeing and not hearing. But I got the director's chair right there actually stole it after the UFC 145 press conference. That's so I was awesome. in Atlanta and I was in between John Jones and Rashad Evans. And we were doing that press conference. You know, we did a lot of those counter punch type segments. And one time yeah. they tried to do it for an actual press conference. So, uh, yeah. So we stole the chair. Hopefully nobody's paying attention. So we got the director's chair. I know, dude, you deserve one of those, man. <laughs> I mean, imagine you, your hair sitting in one of those would be absolutely incredible. Oh yeah. So crazy week kid. So, Anakin Florian podcast for you Monday. You leave for New York Tuesday, get home midday Sunday, and then right back to the studio Monday morning for the Anakin Florian podcast. So the wife, I would say probably not very happy with Ken Flo right now.
4: Well, no, I mean, she she's fine with it. She understands. She totally she understands. understands. She understands. Yes, exactly.
3: And tell her you got a lot of work in LA. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm always bouncing around. So you got a lot of work in LA. Yeah, so it's okay. I need to make some money um, for this baby. You got to do it. That's right. Yeah. Uh so couple other things before we get into UFC 217, which is obviously going to dominate the show today. So I was with body armor to MC this thing on Thursday and I got to spend five minutes with Kobe Bryant backstage. And I just have to say, what an impressive guy, man. I mean, he's just going to go dominate business the way he did basketball. And uh, it was just very cool to see him interacting with like Francis Ngannou and Cynthia Calvillo and and Cody Garbrand and the fighters that are now part of, of team body armor. And uh, I think you'd sort of appreciate body armor a little bit. And this is not an ad. They're not paying me because, you know, it's almost like the Gatorade for, for this modern day athlete, right? There's coconut water in their sports drink. There isn't like red 40 and yellow five in it. So I think they have a good product and it was just really cool to see Kobe, around these UFC athletes for me, and I got to talk to him about the Celtics a little bit, so that was good. Um, also, Roy Hibbert, who is a diehard UFC fan. He's like seven feet tall, former NBA center, and we've seen him at a lot of UFC shows, so I saw him after the show, and he's like, dude, you got to get me on the podcast. So at first I'm thinking, is he confusing me with Joe Rogan, or does he actually want to come on the Anik and <laughs> Florian podcast? But So NBA center Roy Hibbert going to be with us in the next couple weeks, and I think actually going nice. to make some picks against the flow, so uh, yes. very excited about that. Um, also this weekend, it was the unveiling of EA Sports UFC 3. A- and Kenny knows I've been working on this video game over the past year. Conor McGregor on the cover with a belt over each shoulder. Very cool. Uh, but but I've done a lot of these podcasts this year from New York City because I've been up there voicing the video game. And I just want to say and, and I told Kenny a little bit of this. What what an amazing opportunity, but literally the hardest most challenging thing I've ever had to do in broadcasting. I don't know that I'd wish it on my worst enemy, honestly, dude, like more than 80 hours of voiceover work and a lot of it's repetition, a lot of it's ad lib. So it's a mental grind. It's a physical grind and rewarding in the end. But I, you know, people who know me know it, it was a struggle, man. You know, I mean, my confidence at times thinking, you know, am I, am I really the guy for this? Like four hour <laughs> sessions a day, you think, Oh, you can do four hours. Dude, the whole process w- was just insane. And, uh, yeah. and it you know, it had it gave me anxiety, man. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a lot, but I'm glad it's in the can, and, and hopefully we did right by the fighters, you know?
4: Nice, man. Uh, that's awesome. I know you were working your ass off for that, so I, I can't wait to check it out, hear your voice, man, and uh, see what this game's
3: all about. in like 300 fighter walks in a day, you know, and Jeez. a lot of those are ad libs. So it just, you know, every time you utter something, they can put it in the game. So you're just hopeful that, that you're doing a, a good job every day. And, uh, again, thank God it's done. Freddie, I want the rest of the team, thank you guys for, uh, for the support and the chance to do it. So anything else dude? we need to talk about before we get going, we're going to table the Bitcoin stuff for next week, TJ, let's get to headlines.
1: Headlines.
3: It's time for headlines.
1: I have some very urgent and important breaking news
2: headlines on the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast.
3: And seriously, thank you for the the invite to to dinner on Thursday and Friday night, Ken Flo. I do appreciate it. All right, so we're sitting here about 40 hours after one of the most amazing sporting events that I have called, witnessed. I mean, Ken Flo, you were in the building as well at Madison Square Garden. I mean, are you kidding me with everything this show was start to finish, dude?
4: This is what makes this sport. So damn great, man, uh, is nights like that, you know. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. You can do all the analysis in the world. You can see all the video. You could break it all down, look at it, talk to the fighters, you know, check your notes. But you'll always get surprises. That's what makes combat so unpredictable. That's what makes this sport so unpredictable. And that's what makes it so fun, man.
3: So this main event, Ken Flow. George St. Pierre, Michael Bisping, just unbelievable. I mean, big picture on the show itself, right? Like, if you were with us start to finish, pass through pay-per-view. For starters, you had two fighters get knocked stiff as a board. Both had a hard time coming to Eamon Zahabi and Corey Anderson on the wrong end, the spinning back elbow for Hikaro Hamos, and then uh, Ovin St. Pru with, with that left high kick. Um, but then, you know, we used replay a couple times, Kenny, after those heavyweight fights, both of those fights ending with a foul. You had Michael Bisping's cup. Not sure I've ever seen that in a title fight. So so much to digest. Some of it we probably won't get to, but let's start with George St. Pierre here. You know, the last of three new champions crowned here at UFC 217. He joins Randy Couture, BJ Penn, Conor McGregor, the only men to win a UFC title in two divisions. But for GSP, Kenny, he does it after four years away from the game. And I said before the fight, like far be it from me to doubt what the Michael Jordan of MMA can do on any given Saturday night, whether he's had four years off or otherwise. Massive night for GSP and And largely, it was just great to see St. Pierre back in the octagon.
4: Yeah, Yeah, it it was indeed. And, you know, honestly, just from seeing George perform for all these years, the four-year layoff wasn't really the issue for me in regards to what his timing was going to be like, if he was going to be sharp, just because this is a guy who always performs when the lights are on. Um, GSP just knows how to turn it on. He's the ultimate competitor. Um, and for me, the, the issue was how was he going to respond to adversity? How was he going to respond if he got hurt during that fight? Well, Michael Bisping definitely hurt him a, a couple times during that fight, landed some big shots, landed a, a, an excellent one-two um, that definitely stumbled uh, George at one, one point or at least backed him up with a couple shots, and it was the George in his prime. George just responded like the warrior that he is. This was not the uh, the guy who responded... By kind of, you know, being on vacation or sitting on his couch or whatever. Uh, this George St. Right. Pierre is a fighter through and through. He proved that. Um, and as far as his performance, man, just uh, it was vintage GSP with some new wrinkles. This was a, a GSP who attacked him um, on three different levels. Uh, of course, with his striking um I thought the striking, the jab especially, his ability to mix things up was confusing Michael Bisping. He landed some excellent right hands on Michael, obviously stumbled him a few times during the fight, uh, even landed a beautiful wheel kick uh, to the forehead of Michael Bisping. That was something uh, relatively new uh, from George St. Pierre. And then, of course, the wrestling, which we knew was going to be a factor. This guy, um, I've seen him take down some of the best 205-pounders in the gym, so I I really thought that George St. Pierre's wrestling was going to be a major factor, even at 185 pounds, um, just clean on the entry, clean on the finish for the most part, just amazing stuff from George. And on the ground, um, he is as strong as a gorilla. No matter what weight class you're in, you will feel the strength of George St. Pierre um, and his ability to put the pressure on you, put the weight on you, land that grounded pound, uh, chip away at you time and time again. And even though Michael was able to get back to his feet, he was still going to expend a lot of energy doing it. Um, And and of course, Michael always comes in tremendous shape, but it wears on you mentally, physically. And in the end, um, I I think Michael tried to get back to his uh, feet. Um, I know that Danaher was working a lot on George St. Pierre and particularly that instance when Michael would get back to his feet, they worked a lot on taking the back and, When you're fighting someone like a Michael Bisping, who is so damn tough, you don't want to go for arm locks. You don't want to go for heel hooks or leg locks, in my opinion, just because Michael won't tap to that stuff. He's that tough, and he proved it when he got the choke. He went out on his shield. He never tapped. He never thought about tapping. He was fighting all the way through, Uh, but at the end, it was the technique of uh, George St. Pierre, getting it done with that rear naked choke, just beautiful stuff.
3: And you damn well better have a good squeeze and a good rear naked choke, right? Because, Kenny, there are guys who don't have the ability necessarily to choke a guy unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. So better have a good rear naked choke because, uh, you know, Michael Bisping is certainly not the tapping type. So, yeah, I mean, I thought GSP pushed through that wall when his cardio seemed to abandon him a little bit in that second round. He talked a lot about fight experience and his fight IQ and how that might help him in the fight beforehand. And it certainly did quickly, Kenny, in terms of him setting the trap at the end of the fight, just a nice sequence uh, to choke Bisping unconscious ultimately. And I think for a lot of guys, maybe they don't have that in their repertoire, right? The ability to set Bisping up. He set him up on the feet, obviously, when he attacked that right side. Um, But just talk us through a little bit, George St. Pierre's fight IQ and his ability to, to set the trap that ultimately ended Uh, that ultimately led to the finish of the fight. George is a
4: highly intelligent fighter. Um, This is a guy who really, for for the majority of his career, was responsible for putting together all the pieces of his mixed martial arts game. He would go and train, you know, in just wrestling. He would go and train in strictly jiu-jitsu. He would go and train in Muay Thai or karate. And it was up to him to put it all together. You know, of course, Farras started to help him later on in his career. But George did a lot of that on his own. It was just... His ability to think things through, to adapt, um, to deal with injuries during a fight like we saw against Tiago Alves when he tore his adductor or he was going in with a knee injury or whatever it was. Um, This is just a smart fighter who knows how to look for things in his opponent. Um, And that's what happens when you're that well-rounded and that strong and that fast and have that anaerobic capacity like a George St. Pierre you could do whatever the hell you want in there. And you know what? He told Mike, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I want against you. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. It wasn't just a George St. Pierre panicking for a takedown. He was extremely patient. Uh, He struck when he wanted to strike. Um, He wrestled when he wanted to wrestle and uh, he submitted when he wanted to submit. And, Um, I was just blown away by the performance. Um, This was a George St. Pierre who was smart about getting him away from the fence. He never let Michael Bisping put his back to the cage where he could stand up and be safe. George was aware of that. He brought him away from the cage, um, got that space, um, and took the back immediately. Just beautiful stuff there from GSP.
3: And I guess George didn't know how cold-blooded he was being when he said in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan that he targeted Bisping's right side. Of course you did, George, right? I mean, he Mm -hmm. could barely see out of that right eye. And that brings us to Michael Bisping, Kenny. Guy is just a total fucking inspiration. I don't know that I've ever been more inspired by a professional athlete in my life. You know, I was octagon side for what he did against Anderson Silva. I've said it on these airwaves and and anywhere else I can that the last thing this guy is ever looking for is a way out when the – Going gets tough. I know it sounds trite, but when that happens, right, give me Michael Bisping every day of the week. Right. Like we go on these national radio shows and they say, oh, if you had to go into a street fight with three UFC fighters, you know, it's like, yeah, I want Tim Kennedy, too. okay? but like give me this guy, man, just built forward tough. And uh, I just really I, I gain respect for him every time, you know, he he helps build a big fight week with his mouth or fights a guy like George St. Pierre. And even though he came up short, Kenny, there were windows for him in this fight. Just a lot of respect here on Monday morning for uh, for Michael Bisping as well.
4: Michael Bisping uh, absolutely is a warrior. Uh, you know, it's in his blood. His dad was in the military uh, in the U.K. This is a guy who was born to do what he does. Uh, he's as tough as they come. He's an excellent fighter. I thought he did extremely well uh, against George St. Pierre. Um, A a guy who will go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Um, So for for me, watching this fight against Michael Bisping, again, he proved his toughness. He proved his ability to adapt. Not a whole lot of guys are getting it to their feet uh, against someone like George St. Pierre. And Michael was able to do that a few times. And it looked like he didn't miss a step. It looked like he didn't slow down at all or get down on himself. And I think that's what makes Michael Bisping so great. This guy is fearless. He believes in himself. Um, He's inspired me as a fighter for a very long time. Um, He has faced the best of the best, even the guys that defeated him. You know, you can question, you know, maybe some of the stuff that they were using outside of the octagon, so... Uh, Michael will go down as a legend as well. And for me, I would much rather see him lose against someone like a George St. Pierre than someone like Robert Whitaker. No offense to Robert Whitaker, who's an excellent fighter, but certainly doesn't have the resume of a George St. Pierre. So going out uh, or or losing against someone like George St. Pierre, listen, uh, not a big deal. For me, Michael Bisping is still one of the greatest to ever do it.
3: And we will table that whole greatest of all time conversation uh, because I know a lot of our listeners don't love when we speak in absolutes. Even you push out a tweet saying that had to be the greatest night in UFC history. Uh, People tend to uh, get – irritated about that. So at some point, uh, we will try to put into context what George St. Pierre has been able to do. I do think when it comes to the GOAT talk, though, you have all these guys who are in consideration still fighting. So um, 10 years, it's going to be a very fun conversation to have. Uh, As for where George St. Pierre goes from here, Kenny, you know, he did say in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, please show the replay because I don't remember the fight. And I think there were a lot of factors that led to this four-year layoff, but he did absorb some punishment in those final three fights back in 2012, 2013, before he stepped away for this four-year hiatus. What do you think the future is for George St. Pierre, uh, and do you think his next fight will be in defense of this UFC middleweight title?
4: Well, I think that for George, um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is his last fight. I mean, does it get any better than this? What is he going to accomplish here? Uh, that that's going to elevate his status that much more? Uh, does he need to defeat the 205-pounder, maybe fight Stipe huh. it's th- Those aren't realistic things, okay? Even going right. up to 185, everybody doubted him. Um, you know, everyone said, oh, this is going to be too much. You know, Michael Bisping has been more active. He's a bigger guy, this and that. I don't know if it gets better than this. I, I think there was something that George wanted to prove to himself. I-, I really don't think as much as, you know, George wanted to get what he felt he deserved but i don't think it was necessarily about the money this wasn't a george st pierre was like man my bank account's low Uh, i really need to get some funds uh here it wasn't about that george is fine on money believe me i I think more than anything else though uh, i think he had something he needed to prove to himself being away for four years i felt like he finished his career on top and and wanted to come back and and show everybody listen Uh, In in these days where USADA is kind of overlooking the sport, I want to come back and show what I can really do. Um, uh, And, you know, at 170 pounds, he has already done it all. He wanted to do something different at 185 pounds and challenge himself. He did that against a phenomenal champion in Michael Bisping. Um, And I I think this is probably his last fight. Now, can he fight? Absolutely. He proved it. Um, This is still a Georges Pierre who can do it all and do it all at a very high level. Um, he's one of the best competitors I've ever seen in all the professional sports. Um, and if he can if he wants to continue to fight, um, I think he can beat uh, a Robert Whitaker. I think maybe there's a, a fight against Tyron Woodley if he wanted to. Um obviously, there's that Conor McGregor guy uh, who, who might yeah. make things interesting. But I know for George, He doesn't really want to go down in weight too much. I feel like he's already done it all. He feels like he's already done it all at 170 pounds, um, and he did it in an age where the welterweight division was just ridiculous. Um, And I think going down against 155 pounds, I don't know if he really feels Conor McGregor is a challenge, to be honest. Going against a much smaller guy um, and having the takedown skills that he has. Right. I I mean, he's gone against a lot of other great strikers in his career, and and I don't think Conor McGregor is going to be big enough or has the wrestling prowess to stop the takedowns of a George St. Pierre.
3: Well, Saturday night certainly wasn't going to be the time to retire, right, in the octagon or at the post-fight press conference, which, by the way, he wasn't even able to attend because he had to go to the hospital. But this was all about his mixed martial arts legacy, right? This wasn't about money. And you're right, Kenny, there's really nothing else that could top what he accomplished at Madison Square Garden this night. We're going to keep pinging and ponging and getting back to this topic, but I do believe, I can all but guarantee you, that George St. Pierre's next opponent, if there is one in the UFC— Will come from this list of four names: Robert Whittaker, Tyron Woodley, Conor McGregor, or Anderson Silva, almost assuredly. Um, back to that conversation throughout the show, of course. But now with us on the guest line, one of my best friends in the world, actually Kenny likes him too. Uh, former UFC colleague, broadcast partner, now the COO of First Key Homes LLC, also studying towards his executive MBA. That sounds like fun. Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management's Miami location. The greatest living American, Philadelphia Eagles fan, Brian Stan, is with us. B. Stan, the pleasure, all on this side of the table. What's up, kid?
1: What's up, fellas? Man, it's so nice to talk to you guys.
3: Had to go on goddamn LinkedIn today to find out it was First Key Homes, LLC. So, (laughs) you know, we had you booked uh, before UFC 217 turned into one of the more epic pay-per-views in UFC history. Um, and I got to think for you, just a few months removed from this being your world, uh, a night like this makes you wish your title was still UFC commentator and not Chief uh, Operations Officer. Is that what CLO stands for?
0: <laughs> Chief Operating Officer, yes. But, uh, you know, this, this was the card that I knew I was supposed to call, and it was going to be the second time that uh, – you, Joe Rogan, and I were going to be able to work together, which was an exciting crew to work with. So certainly was one that I knew when I watched this card. Ah, oh, man, knowing I would have been there, been at Mass Square Garden called us. Um, certainly some nostalgia involved. But I had a lot of fun watching with family and friends. And, you know, my hair was blown back just like it was for you guys. And I think this was an important night for the sport. You know, this this has not been the best year for us. And and for some reason, because our sport isn't as mature, we just seem with with casual fans to be only as good as our last car. We needed this kind of momentum to try and close this year strong.
3: So in terms and you're right on all of that stuff, in terms of George St. Pierre and his legacy, you probably heard a little bit of what we were saying there on the back end. Not sure he could have done more to fill this hole you know he wanted to add to his legacy he did that your overall thoughts on George St. Pierre in the fight and ultimately where he might go from here man I mean I think it's
0: incredible what he was able to do and that's a tremendous layoff and there is a huge difference I don't care what kind of shape you get into in the gym and training camp I don't care what you, you know if you have the money to get everything measured you know what your resting heart rate is I don't care it's all different when you're actually in that octagon on fight night. The bright lights, the anxiety, the nerves. Which GSP it has, he suffers from some of the the, the the worst anxiety I've ever seen in the sport, which makes what he does right. even more special. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was technically very good. I mean, uh, he did obviously slow down, which was expected. It looked like Michael Bisping was taking over that fight, but GSP finds a way to do it. You know it's not that he did anything that was completely different than what we've seen before in his career. It's the fact that he was able to come and fight at that level after four years on the bench is absolutely astounding to me. Uh, I've long thought (laughs) he's the best to ever do it. I've transitioned recently to Demetrius Johnson. Now with GSP coming back and doing that, I, 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 you know, I've got to say GSP is the best ever.
4: You know, Brian, for me, I I saw him slow down a little bit, but, it's a professional fight, isn't it? It's at 185 pounds. This guy was keeping a crazy pace with his striking, his wrestling. He's dealing at on 185 pounds. To me, I didn't see it as such a big deal of him slowing down. But, you know, where would you put him in the conversation? So you, you have him as, as greater than Demetrius Johnson right now, the best pound-for-pound pound fighter you've ever seen?
0: I do. I do. He is. I mean, when he to come back after four years on the bench and win the middleweight crown, and can you bring up a great point? He was, you have to put this like, a, there's going to be an action. He was slowing down against Michael Bisping, right? Yeah. And that matters. It's not like he was slowing down against Yo Romero or slowing down against a regular middleweight. Michael Bisping's cardio and his conditioning are an absolute weapon. And he can put a pace on you like none other and is executing his game plan. So GSP was slowing down compared to the pace, one of the highest pace fighters we've ever seen in the UFC. So I think that's very important to say. but. Yes, when you look at who he's beaten, how long he's been dominant, to come back now at this age, four years on the bench and win a weight, yeah, win a belt, a weight class above, that's a big jump. That's a 15 pound difference. This isn't boxing, right? This isn't boxing where the weight class was five pounds higher. You know, he went from fighting guys that are walking around at 190, 185 to now fighting a guy who walks around at 225 in Michael Bisping. That's a tremendous yeah. jump.
4: Yeah, it really was, man. There was definitely a lot of risk involved with what George St. Pierre did. Now, do you want to see him fight again? Uh, and if you do, who would you like to see him fight next?
0: I don't want to see him fight again, personally. I never want to see him fight again. I think everything he's done is great. I just I don't want any any long-term health risks for, for George St. Pierre. One one thing I'll add to the reason why I'm choosing him now, he, he predominantly – you know, he, he he knocked Michael down with striking. A lot of that fight was on the feet. He did his yeah. most damage on the ground. He smitted him on the ground. But Mike was able to get up after the takedowns. You know, we've seen, you know, for GSP to do that to Mike on the feet, a lot of people saw him winning with a boring lay-and-pray, him on the ground style. That's not what happened in this fight, which was even more impressive for me. But if he were to fight again, uh, I, I want to see the Robert Whittaker fight. I think that that's the fight that intrigues me the most. I think that'll be the most fun to watch for the fans. Um, and and I'd also then take the Tyron Woodley fight. I think he's just too big for for Connor. Connor, of course, will take the fight. He doesn't care. Uh, you know, Connor will fight a heavyweight if he give the kid the opportunity. But man, I mean, GSP is a big guy now. He's not a legit middleweight, but he's getting pretty close.
3: Former UFC commentator Brian, Stan with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. Still don't like the way that sounds. So Thug Rose Nama Yunus goes in and gets Ioana Jacek out of there in the first round. And I texted Kenny, Brian, you know, here is Ioana Jacek, right? I mean... Despite the fact that she talked a world of stuff about Rose leading up to this fight, you know, she felt like she was the much better fighter. Um, She walked to that octagon. I don't know if she felt like Rose deserved to be there with her. She probably did, right? But it's almost comparable to Ronda Rousey in some respects. It's like walking back into your new life, right? You're undefeated. You are ubiquitously regarded as the best women's mixed martial arts fighter of all time and then all of a sudden, no, you don't tie or break the record. You go back to your hotel room. You're, you're not undefeated, no belt. Uh, this is going to be a very difficult pill to swallow, I would think. I guess if anyone can do it, maybe it's her. I don't know.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's the sport. It's the reason why we all love it, the unpredictability of it. You know, it's, it's crazy how karma treats you in mixed martial arts because you have to be supremely confident to be successful in that octagon. But there's a tipping point. I don't know if you want to reach there. I mean, any time I've met her or interacted with her, she's been nothing less than a wonderful person. Absolutely wonderful to work with. Always made time. She was a true professional. She does her thing because she wants to make her opponent doubt themselves. It's a very, you know, Michael Bisping does the same thing. You want to plant the seeds of doubt because if you plant them and they start to grow, that person will not fight to the best of their abilities. It didn't work on Rose, right? But that's what Yowana was trying to do. But there is, you know, when you get to that level of confidence to where you can become dominant, there's a point where you can go too far and you could walk in that octagon. And I, I would find in fights where I wasn't nervous at all, which I, I had a lot that were like that, but when I wasn't nervous and I had no fear or anxiety in me, I didn't fight as well. I didn't yeah. have this edge, you know, I didn't have that survival instinct to, to, to fight with everything I had or throw every strike as hard as I wanted to or I wasn't as primal is what I'm trying to say. And I think that she that may have been something that got to her. You know, it may have been and look, it could have just been technical. Rose has got a tricky style and DC referenced it. I've referenced it having called a lot of roses fights. Trevor Whitman's style is very technical and it takes time to master. Rose has been there for a long time now, and I thought she did a really good job fighting at range and not standing in front of Joanna to where Joanna could use more of that Muay Thai-based approach where if you stand in front of her, she's going to rattle off combo after combo. Rose doesn't stand in front of you and really attacked her well at distance.
3: You see how we're still cheating off your notes, though? I told DC that during rehearsal, that Trevor Whitman's striking style takes a long time to develop, and it's (laughs) defensive-oriented at the beginning. And we're see. So we're stealing your notes. This is kind of great that you're gone. We could just cheat off all your stuff. So um, we haven't even talked about TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt yet, Brian because we're taking you close to the top of the show. So I was going to ask you which champion you think is more likely to get their belt back, J Check or Cody Garbrandt. We haven't even touched on Cody TJ. So uh, I guess we'll start with that. Your thoughts on the fight as long as it lasted and, and ultimately uh, where those guys will now go moving forward.
0: I'll tell you what, man. I thought it was a phenomenal fight. It was, you know, those are both really high-level athletes. Cody is the is one of the quickest guys on the entire UFC roster. When you break down his tape and watch every single fight, man, is he quick. He's a phenomenal athlete. As is TJ, and TJ and him have both gotten so technical. But TJ, and you guys referenced it on the call, TJ striking-wise just has a couple more weapons. Right, he's got a, a, a bit more variety to his attack and I think that made a difference the biggest thing that impressed me the most and this this happens in our sport it's why people fall in love with it TJ's ability to recompose himself kind you could see him nodding you know and, and, and registering with his coach Bang Ludwig getting himself back in the fight after he was rocked badly when you get rocked against Cody Cody's a killer he'll go out there he will take you out I was really impressed with that and uh, I think I think that's a fight we're going to see again. Obviously, I think Cody will challenge for the title again, um, but I don't think it'll be right away. Right? The bantamweight division has become very, very interesting, and it's no gimme. Unreal uh, for Dominic Cruz taking on Jimmy Rivera.
3: Oh, 35 is awesome, right? I mean, you got Marlon Marais and John Dodson fighting on the prelims this weekend, and Morice came in having won 13 in a row. He's staring at 0-2 in the UFC if he can't get by Dodson, and no one's talking about those guys. Yeah, on and on it goes at 35. So for Cody Garbrandt, it's hard not to be impressed with the physical tools and, and some of the natural gifts that have... Been honed under his uncle, Robert Meese, for years and years. Hand speed just off the charts. Which champion is more likely to get their belt back? Cody Garbrandt uh, in the shark-infested waters at 35, or Ioana Ionjacek?
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh that's a really good question.
3: Um, See, Ioana might get an immediate rematch. I would rematch, say, you okay, know?
0: I would, I would, and this is going to be a little wild, but I would honestly, I would say Cody. And, and here's why. Um, because 135, all those guys, we saw how badly he rocked TJ, right? All those guys can beat each other. You know, Dominic beat TJ so close that TJ could have won that night as well. So I think there's going to be some round robin in that weight division. I I am wondering, with Rose Namajunas, Rose is far from a finished product. Rose is still very much improving and getting better. And, and her style, sometimes certain fighters have a style that is just kryptonite to the opposition, to the one-styled opponent. And Rose's style, her footwork, and and her grappling, her style may just be very challenging for Ioana. And now that she already knocked her out once like that, the confidence and how that changes will be very interesting to watch going forward.
3: All right, a couple rapid-fire questions here with Brian Stan on the way out. Anthony Pettis, Dustin Poirier, this weekend main event Norfolk, Virginia, forced to pick a winner to save a dog's life. Poirier or Pettis? Pettis. Anthony and Pettis, a slight one. favorite right uh, now. It's a
0: tough one. I think if Poirier has got to make this an inside fight and use boxing as much as possible, don't don't stay a distance. And do not take, as good as Poirier is on the ground, because he is very good, don't take Anthony uh, Pettis down in the middle of the octagon. If you're going to do it, take him down against the fence and keep him there. Don't give him the room to, to, to move his hips because he catches a lot of guys off guard.
3: Uh, all right, over under four and a half Bud Lights for you at UFC two seventeen.
0: Oh, under.
3: Under, yeah. I fucking hate Bud Light. Are we you going Scotch or are you just kind of laying low or what? You know, you know, I was, I was doing. I went with a PA beer. I'm still with Gamble. Oh, all right. I didn't oh, switch, like, I didn't you.
0: to Scotch. I had a busy.
4: Um, I had a bunch of stuff going on Sunday. I couldn't switch. To as, you know, lo- as long mean, as long as daylight
0: savings, man, Savannah, my youngest was on my chest by six a.m.
4: As long as Monster Energies weren't involved, uh, Brian, that's
0: <laughs> they, they.
4: So they yeah. were prior to <laughs> trying,
0: really trying to cut back. But honestly, this this new civilian job, you know, this new real world stuff. I'm I'm in the office from seven thirty a.m. till seven p.m. at night. So, so you need uh, those, Yeah, the monsters are still
3: flowing. <laughs> And and I do know Yingling because I went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, where where you had no Dan choice but to drink do. that stuff. It's very good. Um, all right, last but not least, as of today, November sixth, who is favored to win the Super Bowl? Philadelphia Eagles. So I State think they are. they are. I thought they were too. We talked about this off the air, so I went and checked the only online sports book I could find a Super Bowl future on today had the Eagles at 6-1 to one and the New England Patriots at 4-1 to ah. one as, as the Super Bowl favorites. So I immediately got in touch with someone in Vegas, and I'm, I'm shopping a price for the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I think they're going to run the table if they stay healthy, my man. I really do.
0: Now, I'm still – look, I mean, we've got the Cowboys in two weeks, and, and they're a tough team, and if Elliott doesn't get suspended, that's going to be a really tough – that's going to be a tough match at first. Us as Philadelphia fans are pretty used to getting disappointed, and uh, nobody could feel confident. I don't care. Until Tom Brady is dead, nobody is going to feel confident about winning a Super Bowl until that day comes. And, uh, I mean, he's just he just continues to be excellent. And it's just a privilege to watch that dynasty continue to play. Cause I'm, as you know, I'm a big fan of excellence. But if anybody can do it, this, this kid, Carson Wentz, and that crew, that defense we got as well, they, they can get it done. So I'm a believer. I'll be wearing my Carson Wentz jersey in two weeks. You can pair it.
3: Oh man. I know you will. All right, Brian Stan. Pleasure to hear your voice as always, buddy. Uh we'll let you get back to it, man. I guess when you're the COO, I guess you could break away for fifteen minutes to talk a little mixed martial arts. So thank you for That's your time. Right. You know, you got an open door, dude. You want a monthly segment, whatever you need, man. Thank you for the time. We'll talk to you soon, all right. I'm in. I love it, fellas. Great to hear from you. Have a great day. Thanks, Dan. All right, Brian, Stan with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So uh, I think we are going to connect with uh, Thug Rose Nama Yunis here, Flo, in a couple yes. of minutes. But while we're waiting to do that, uh, Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw. And I know you texted me. It was an emotional fight beforehand, and you thought largely it played out with some emotions as well, and you think that was sort of a big factor uh, in ultimately how this one played out, yes? A little
4: bit, yeah. Actually, on both sides because I, I felt that right. Dillashaw – shouldn't have gone into the pocket against someone like Cody Garbrandt. That's where I thought he was going to lose. Now he got caught initially. He got dropped in the first round by going into the pocket. Um, he kept trying to get in there. And I said, geez, it's only a matter of time. Cause I thought Cody was the, the harder uh, puncher, you know? And, um, In the end, he went right back into the pocket. He actually spoke with us uh, in the post-fight show and said, you know, that was something that we worked on not doing. I did it anyway. I took the risk. I ended up landing first. So props to him for having that courage to getting in there. But, again, he kind of showed his emotions in there. That was a risky gamble against someone like a Cody Garbrandt. Now, when Cody went in there and got dropped with that kick in round two, First of all, he should have been ready for it. He sh- he should have done his homework. That's one of Cody. That's one of TJ Dillashaw's Sorry, uh, patented techniques. He looks like he's going to do a leg kick. He drops his head down. Goes goes upstairs with his kick. Cody was holding his hand a little bit too low for my liking and got caught with it. Um, and then after he got hit with that shot, it was like, you know, he, he looked way too pissed off. Now th- that kind of worked against Dominic, but. He was more composed against someone like Dominic Cruz. And when he got dropped, I felt like he was chasing the knockout and not letting it happen organically. And I think that was the issue there.
3: All right, back to that in a second. But I I believe right now on the guest line, we have the new undisputed UFC strawweight champion of the world, Thug Rose Namajunas. Rose, John and Kenny here. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Thug Rose, congratulations on the UFC championship. I, I don't know how many people know what the last six months have held for you, essentially being in one elongated training camp, helping Valentina Shevchenko, and you finished this half year off by handing Joanna Jędrzejczyk her first loss. You become a UFC champion. Have you felt the love from the MMA world? Because I just think collectively we're all so happy for you. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um... Definitely lots of love that I like being felt the whole week. Uh, Definitely lots of things that, you know, uh, distractions trying to, you know, throw me off of that. But I, you know, I focus on the love. I focus on the positivity. Um, That's what's got me through it. So I appreciate that from everybody, you you know, know, that, uh, uh, you know, just try to send the love my way.
3: You know, we were saying on the broadcast that it was you and not her who came in as the most prolific finisher in UFC strawweight history, right? She had gone, I think, a couple hours, at least in her last four title defenses, without putting somebody away. So did you feel as confident as you looked in your striking and your development on the feet uh, in terms of this fight and what you might be able to accomplish?
2: Oh, yeah. Of course, there's, you know, self-doubt that always creeps in, but I've... uh really started to master, you know, everything that, uh, that my coaches have been, you know, building me from the ground up, uh, since I lost the belt, um, or since I lost my first title fight. Uh, right. And, you know, it's really this camp and and a big part of it, you know, just this last little step to fight. You want to like training with Valentina and and her sister helped a lot. Uh, just in my confidence and, and being able to, cause I training with her, it wasn't about me, it was helping her. And so I had to do a lot of things that weren't in my, um, the way that we do things. And so a lot of it was just like stand there and absorb, you know, <laughs> these like these bullets, you know, I as a matter of fact, I have a I have a scar on my hip from uh, from one of her spin sidekicks to this day, um, you know, just, uh, I got shot with a bullet, you know, that's what I call it. That's my bullet wound. And um, it's just, it's just helped me so much. And then, you know, after, after those camps were over, then, you know, we focused on me and we focused, okay, all that grind is over with. Now that we have the fight with Joanna, let's, let's focus on doing what we do, you know, and, and making sure that I'm technically sharp, not just tough, you know, and uh, yeah, everything obviously paid off.
4: Rose, it was amazing what you did inside the octagon, uh, both during the fight and in the post-fight speech. Um, you know, I love I loved what you said about showing respect and showing um, the humility of a martial artist. Do you feel like you can kind of change the momentum here a little bit as, as the champion now? Because obviously we've been seeing a lot of trash talking, a lot of this kind of negativity out there in order to get fights. You haven't done that. You've never really been that person. Um, Do you feel like you can kind of change the momentum here?
2: Yeah, that's my plan. That's my goal. I want to bring some light, you know, uh, in the world uh, just because it it seems like such a dark place sometimes, but it's, it's such a beautiful life. And um, I think that we need a little bit more of that, Uh, especially as, you know, martial artists. I mean, I don't, I don't view myself as just a fighter, you know, obviously that, that side is in me, you know, If, if I'm, you know. You know, eventually, the after all the, the buildup and all that stuff, you know, eventually when we got pushed, it put in the center of the octagon, I was like, because I had enough, you know, and, and then I finally snapped, and obviously that's what happened, but, uh, you know, knocked her out. But I don't know, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, basically, I want to, I, I do want to uh, try and just be the, do the best that I can to inspire others to just be nicer to each other because life is hard as it is,
4: you know. Well, it's extremely refreshing to hear you say that at 25 years old. Now, I know yeah. it's still, I know it's still early, but uh, you, wanna you beat Juana in the first round uh, in a very dominant fashion. Obviously, um, we have Claudia Gadelia who just lost to uh, Jessica Andrade. Who do you think is more deserving? Do you know what direction you're gonna go? It, would it be Andrade over Yoana at this point, or is Yoana deserving because of everything she did in the division?
2: Uh, I have no idea at this point. I haven't really even thought about it. I'm still trying to I forgot this morning that we had the fight. You know what I mean? I like I woke up this morning like in the mindset of, Okay, it's time to go to practice. Oh, yeah, no. Over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we didn't we already came back from New York. You, you know, what know what I mean? mean we're, we're home. home. So time to relax (laughs) and time to decompress. Uh, And then eventually, you know, we need to sit down with all of the team and, and really just process what happened as a team. And, uh, and then how are we going to approach this thing going forward?
3: UFC strawweight champion, Rose Nama, Yunus joining us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. It sounds good, Rose. So I know I touched off off the top about the love from, from the MMA masses for you, but for your family and your friends and your teammates, right? I mean, we were on the bus and I know you, I think you were FaceTiming with your mom in the back and for Pat Barry, of course, and for yeah. Trevor. And, and fa- I mean, for, for this whole team, can you effectively put into words what it is like to, to reward their hard work as well with, with a UFC championship at 25 years old?
2: Yeah. I mean, geez, the- you know, Trevor is such an experienced, uh, coach in this game. And, uh, to see him, and he's accomplished a lot, you know, and even I think maybe, you know, more, way more than he gets credit for. And so for this, I feel like this is like the moment, the achievement that I think, um, you know, is really gratifying or should be gratifying for him. And uh, something that I've, you know, this dude worked so hard and, and you know, sacrifices so much for us as athletes. And, and um it's not about him, you know, so it's like you know, I wanna give back in that way, and Tony, the same thing, you know, got five kids like crazy, you know no. family, like uh, and so yeah. you know i wanna i wanna you know make their lives more any more comfortable that I can possibly do, and then you know pat of course he's he's pretty much he's put his career aside for me, you know what I mean, like he wants to get in there every day and fight. You know, uh, right. he, he really huh. wants to fight again, but like, you know, he knows that, but this is what he loves to do too. You know, he loves, he loves, he loves to, you know, this is what he has been wanting to do, you know, as much as I have to make me the best in the world. And, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's very satisfying to be able to give back to them and to 303, you know, all the, all the ladies that have helped me since I came here to Colorado and, um, all the teammates that I've had since being here, like Colorado's been so good to me, you know, after yeah. not having, after never really feeling like I could have a place that I can call home, this place is amazing. And I'm just so grateful to be here, um, you know, because even just with all the craziness that was going on in New York, like when we got there with the, with the trucks, you know, and, and the tragedies right. and then all the protests. Um, I was like, and then the marathon the next day, I was like, really, all I want to do is just go like, be able to just make it home. You know, that's all I was thinking about the fight, like the build up to it. Um, like, you know, the belt, like I said, that was, that I really meant that that's extra, you know, uh, I wasn't right. thinking about the outcome. I was just thinking as long as I can make it home, happy, healthy and safe. I'm, um, I'm good.
3: Well, and you did that and I think all of us in life are just rooting for good things to happen to good people and this certainly fits the bill you just handled yourself beautifully all week and I think maybe the only thing more impressive than the way you handled yourself during the week was your performance fittingly you get the tap at 3 3 of round one and very gracious of you (laughs) to give us uh, 10 minutes here on Monday so get back to the dog your fiance and your life and tell Trevor now we're not hitting mitts today enjoy your time off and uh, (laughs) hopefully we'll catch up we'll we'll catch up with you before that first title defense Rose thank you much. Very much
2: thank you
3: congrats rose
2: all right, yeah patty
3: yeah i think that was pat barry there at the end
2: yeah, yeah, what's up? Here.
3: yeah baby yeah baby <laughs> <laughs> hey thank you guys right, for Jeff. for making the time have a good week all right all right you too bye-bye all right doug rose nama unis pat barry with us i mean just to be able to congratulate them in person, Kenny, after that type of accomplishment, that's what this sport's all about. We've talked on this podcast about one of the hardest things for us as commentators is if you go to the bar after a fight and, and to to greet the the losing fighters, right? Because you just don't know what to say, right? Whether they've been concussed or lost a tough decision, it's one of the trickier navigations for us. On the other side, there's nothing better than being able to congratulate a winning fighter after a performance like Rose put forth this weekend. So uh, pretty fucking incredible, man. I mean, what she was able to do. Doug Rose is right, DC, courtesy UFC 217 pay-per-view. I mean, Ken Flo, you had to look far and wide for people who were back in Nama Yunus in this spot. I know TJ had a $5 free bet online, and he put it on Rose, but not a lot of people were back in Rose Nama Yunus in this spot.
4: No, they weren't, and uh, when you look at Ioana Young-Jacek and what she's done in the division, uh, in the way that she's done it, um, it was hard to see a scenario where Rose would be defeating Ioana, unless you think maybe they go to the mat and, and you know, uh, Thug Rose able to take the back or whatever, but... It, it was really impressive and you know what this this seemed like this was a Joanna who was forcing a lot of things you know when, when you look back at it now it seemed like she was going a little bit overboard to promote the fight in a way um she yeah. was definitely venturing once again into that bully territory um and I think the fans started to turn on her a little bit um I don't know if she really liked that uh and even during the fight this was a Yuana who was very tight and very tense. And we've seen her. She's the type of fighter that builds momentum over the fight. She's not this really fast starter necessarily Um, because of her footwork because of the way she fires off her machine gun type combinations it takes a little while for her to get into that rhythm she was not in that rhythm she seemed very tight we saw her get caught against claudia gadelia with the big right hand that dropped her before it was the same exact right right hand that dropped her here uh, with rose namunis
3: so that's why you're on TV all the time, Flo. That's great analysis right there. And I hadn't necessarily thought about Yawani M. check as that rhythmic fighter, but you're absolutely right. And a lot of us did feel going in. Claudia Gadelia is an exceptional finisher in her own right, but we kind of felt like if Rose is able to stun her on the feet or get her to the ground – Rose Namajunas can close the show, and that's exactly what she did. And I think a scary proposition for the other 15s because she's 25 years old and has really closed some gaps dating to that UFC debut that she referenced, which was December of 2014, uh, her her UFC debut for the inaugural strawweight title against Carla Esparza. All right, we are far from finished when it comes to recapping the monster that was UFC 217. Somebody get Ray Longo on the
1: Now, time for the Ray Longo Minute. I'm going to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute.
3: Starring Ray
0: Longo. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast.
3: Yeah, we got Longo's cell phone number. We called it Raymond Peter. Good Monday morning to you, kid. What's going on?
1: <laughs> good morning, man. Are you, guys, are you guys still alive after the other night, man? My heart's still pounding.
3: I'm telling you, man, and I had said after Amanda Nunes knocked out Ronda Rousey in 48 seconds that hosting, going on and doing that UFC 207 post-fight show was very hard. It was hard to be articulate, uh, articulate, artic- whatever. It was hard to complete a articulate. sentence, right? And we sort of felt that, I'm telling you, tough day here for me verbally, but we sort of felt on the broadcast that after Rose knocked out Joanna, it, it's hard to sort of reset and be level-headed about what was still to come we had to refocus pretty quickly just just an incredible night top to bottom
1: yeah right i mean i, I mean I, the, all the fights were great the main card just produced one fight after another three different title changes is phenomenal I think it's a great night for the ufc i mean they need those rematches and the, some interesting fights come up some interesting you know people will be talking about who should fight who so i think it's a was a real it was a i think they desperately needed that i don't know if they desperately needed it but man it's not going to hurt and i think anybody you talked to just thought it was a phenomenal night of, of fights
3: your initial thoughts on George St. Pierre's ability to come back to the sport after that much time away and put forth that type of performance against a qualified middleweight Michael Bisping?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I had Bisbee winning that fight. So, you know, power to George, I think he did good. Uh, it looked like that night he had the perfect dance partner, which, uh, you know, again, I think is. Giving part credit to George making making you look like that, but, but it's a phenomenal night for George St. Pierre. That is not easy to do, to sit on the shelves, you know, for a couple of years and then come back like that. So man, power to him. Um, you know, I didn't like the fact that you know after the fight with the Rogan interview, he didn't, you know, he he told Joe, I don't, I don't, you got to explain to me what happened. I don't remember what happened. I don't think right. he took that many shots. Uh, so I hope he's I hope he's all right in that department. And then he was. Kind of strolling around the octagon at the end, I think the, the arena might have been empty by that point. He was still in there. So I hope, I hope on that level, you know, he's all right. But a uh, great night for George. And uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where that takes us in the future. It should be interesting.
4: Uh, I'm asking everybody this question, I think, but where does that put George St. Pierre in the conversation of pound for pound greats?
1: Um, yeah, look, I think he always was pound for pound one of the best fighters ever. I think it just, uh, you know, enhances it a little bit. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I think he did clean out the division before he left, right? I mean, he fought everybody, so he's right up there, man, without a doubt. You know, I don't think this fight, you know, was going to tarnish his legacy at all that way because I think when he was at 170, I don't think there's anybody that guy didn't fight. You know what I mean? So he was definitely pound for pound... Uh, one of the best then, and he's going to go down as pound for pound, one of the best now. So I think uh, if anything, it just enhanced that he's, you know, he's a martial artist and he was focused and he, look, he stayed in the gym. You didn't hear this guy going out and, you know, buying three businesses or opening up a restaurant or doing nothing. So he stayed as a yeah. martial artist, you know, he taught, he grew as a person, I believe. And I think that's the thing that impressed me most with George St. Pierre is You know, like, I kind of know him. I'm not going to say I know him well, but I like the guy. He's always been a great guy to me, and I do know him a little bit. He was comfortable in there for the first time. I saw a guy that literally, you know, hit a little adversity and just sucked it up and embraced it, where in the past you saw panic in the corners, and, you know, he would be a little, uh, you know, anxiety-ridden. He was – I think he conquered some demons, and I think as a person and as a martial artist, that was a big step for George. I think he really, he was relaxed at the, the pre-fight stuff. I mean, he's normally kind of a wreck. I mean, it looked like he really, really grew as a person. He embraced everything, and he was enjoying it. That's what it looked like to me.
4: Right. Now, uh, Rousey and Joanna young Check both hit that same uh, roadblock when it comes to defending their title. What do you think is a bigger upset in your mind? You know, obviously, styles uh, there's a difference there but uh is it home defeating rousey or is it rose defeating young jay Chet?
1: well i think he, here's the deal i think home defeating rousey was a bigger uh thing only because the media build up on rousey right. i mean she she was getting that tyson-esque like you know uh you know coverage that she was just unbeatable i think we all respected and knew that that uh, Joanna was phenomenal and she, she was a great fighter, but they, it wasn't, I didn't get the same feeling that they, you know, like, I think maybe because Ronda was the first female and the way she was dominating and, you know, she was finishing people. She was on barring people, she, you know, uh, Joanna wasn't, you know, those fights are going the distance. She's great, but, you know, she's, I, I think that was a bigger upset to me is like, that was... You know, I think there were more eyeballs on that fight for a reason. And uh, I think that's why it was the bigger upset. I mean, Rose can fight. There's no question about it. So that was, you know, I I think we all respected Rose's ability. We just thought that, I mean, I thought that Joanna was just too, you know, like kind of active and powerful. And uh, that didn't work out for her. But I think the Holly Holm fight was definitely a bigger uh, upset in my eyes anyway. Because, because yeah, and Holly Holm,
3: <clears throat> and, excuse me, Holly Holm was a, about twice as heavy a betting underdog than Rose Namajunas was against uh, Ioana Yun-Jacek. Uh Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw, <clears throat> excuse me, outstanding fight as long as it lasted, but for TJ Dillashaw here, Ray, essentially taking on an entire team, and you know, this has been a very difficult thing for TJ. He seems to have, have handled it all quite well. But, you know, you got like your former best friend, Chad Mendez now sparring with Cody and training him to beat you. Uh, and he's got to have felt like a man on an island for a lot of this process. I got to think few wins in the history of that octagon have been sweeter than the one that TJ Dillashaw was able to get on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, I guess, look, man, they put so much emotion into the, the buildup of this fight. And, you know... I, I couldn't agree with you more that he had a lot resting on his shoulders but again I think you know he learned from the Dominic Cruz fight not to get over emotional and and look man that fight they fight 10 times it could be 5 and 5 I mean to me it was definitely the firstest with the mostest is the bestest you know and I think the bell saved you know TJ in the first round and and Cody didn't have that luxury in the second round but uh you know, was he, like he definitely drew first blood with that? And that 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 was a great fight, man. And again, I think psychologically, uh, you know, I think you know, Dillashaw did a great job. Really, just you know, man, overcoming getting knocked down in the first round, getting back to the corner and regrouping was was phenomenal. So he shows the characteristics of a true champion. And I think that's uh, that's the takeaway from that fight, man. That's a that fight's gonna make him like a lot better you know, because of all the yeah. shit he had to deal with and go through. But, you know, look, could have won either way. Um, but he pulled it off, and, man, Power to him, man, I think he was in a tough position. And I think also Cody's going to really grow a lot from that fight. You're going to see both guys just a lot better because I'm sure, you know, Cody maybe got too emotional in that fight also, you know, so not in the fight, but, I mean, in the buildup because they, they both looked like, you know, they both looked like two guys that knew each other, and you know, the, whoever was gonna, you know, land first was gonna be in, in control. And again, I think the bell saved TJ, and he was able to regroup, and maybe that gave the other guy a little false sense of confidence. And you know, that's what happened. You know.
3: All right, I'll get you out of here on this. You said earlier, you referenced George St. Pierre not remembering the fight when he was doing that post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, and I don't know if that's athlete adrenaline just sort of staying in the moment and not remembering a fight step-by-step. Step. Kenny can probably speak better to this than anyone. Um, or, though, Ray, is this a byproduct of absorbing damage over a long career and a career spent sparring and getting prepared for five-round championship fights? Like, what what is your protocol uh, for an athlete? I know George went to the hospital, but if this was your athlete, right, you see some of these symptoms based upon what you know right now, I mean, how soon does he fight? Kenny thinks he might retire, but how soon would you let that guy fight again?
1: No, he shouldn't fight for a while. Because, uh, again, like when Joe said, let's look at your handiwork, I think he said, man, explain it to me because I don't remember anything. Um, and then, again, when he was in that octagon, it looked like – like it's not like he hasn't been there before. He's been in big fights. But this looked like – you know, I was trying to figure it out. Like, is he just – embracing the moment, but it, it almost looked like they were going to have to remove him. I did. Wasn't a person around. He was just walking around. So I don't know. I mean, he's definitely has to be looked at. I mean, if he's got like friends around him, he has to be looked at for sure. You know, because if he's, you know, if he was being humble, that's one thing. If he really meant it, I didn't think he took that many big shots in the fight. So, you know, he's a guy that seems like he's really in touch with his body and he does the right thing. And, uh, I think he'll want to get that taken care of, but I would definitely have a, a neurologist take a look at him just to play it on the safe side, you know, but again, he might've been just, you know, being very, you know, humble and Oh, Joe, I don't remember anything, you know, but, yeah. but it didn't seem like that to me. It seemed like there was something deeper. And uh, I think it's just worth, it's worth in today's day and age with the climate on the concussion stuff. So hot to, to really take a look at that. Cause he's a great guy. He's a great ambassador for the sport. Now, it would would be a bummer if that guy went out and he was a little banged up mentally. That would not be a cool thing, I don't think. So I think it's just worth it just to look at it. I think he's got some good people around him. I hope they do the right thing.
3: All right, my man. Have a great rest of the week. And by the way, at least in terms of crowd noise, Madison Square Garden has nothing on that Nassau Coliseum. Weidman Gastelum felt like twice as loud as as some of the seminal moments we had on Saturday. So good on good oh, on that, the island. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, my man. We'll talk to you next Monday. All right.
1: All right, man. Take it easy, man. Take care, guys.
3: All right. There he is. Ray Longo and Ken Flo quickly before we transition to UFC fight night, Poirier versus Pettis coming up at Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia this weekend. I just want to get one more thought from you on Garbrandt Dillashaw, because I I, I hoped we'd have more time to go in depth on that fight. But in terms of this angle of TJ taking on an entire team, right, like Dillashaw's wrestling coach, Daryl Christian, suggested, I think, on Instagram that what Cody was doing leading up to the fight was slander. Right. I mean. I'm not a lawyer, but they levied some major criticisms at TJ. Right? They questioned his character, his integrity. Um, you know, said he used perf- performance-enhancing drugs repeatedly and and helped them u- use those things. Right? So, for for Dillashaw to to win this fight in this manner, uh, you know, two two months before he has a kid, it's like it's just nuts, man. Uh, and you know, as as much as I love Cody and a lot of the guys on that team, I think if you separate yourself from it, hard not to feel good for T.J. Dillashaw what he was able to uh, to get done on Saturday.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And then the video that came out the night, you know, the night before they're yeah. about to compete, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Cody strategically put that video out there for a reason to try to get in uh, T.J.'s head. And, um, yeah, he dealt with a lot. And, and it's unfortunate, especially in this uh, time uh, where anything you put out there as far as news you know on social media or whatever gets circulated extremely quickly and you are now guilty um, just because of some dude accusing you of something right so um, it, it, it's it's tough and, and it was must have been a very difficult time for TJ, for him to put that aside and get the win in the manner that he did, especially coming back from being dropped in that first round where he was really stepping in potholes going back uh, to his stool, I thought was very impressive. Um, and, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a, a, a huge confidence builder for him, um, knowing that he can come back from that kind of adversity both in the cage and and outside of the cage. Um, yeah, I was very, very impressed.
3: Well, with respect to Cody Garbrandt and Jimmy Rivera and Dominic Cruz and all the other big names in the 35 mix right now, I really want to see TJ Dillashaw, Demetrius Johnson, Kenny. I'd imagine you had to answer that question on the post-fight show on FS1 Saturday night. I mean, please tell me that's the fight you want to see.
4: It is. It absolutely is. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't be mad at a rematch between him and Cody. I think they will fight at least one more time. Um, Yeah, sure. And then there's Dominic Cruz and Jimmy Rivera out there. There's there's no shortage of matchups at 135. Let's put it that way. Um, And yeah, I I think that's a fight everyone would like to see. I think um, Demetrius Johnson has run out of opponents now. No offense to his other opponents, but he's run out of opponents now for for a little bit. And I think that uh, TJ Dillashaw really is the only challenge uh, for him. And and TJ is willing to go down to 125 pounds, which makes things that much more interesting. Does the UFC love guys who are holding two different belts? Then if TJ does win, uh, what belt does he defend now? That gets right, a little bit right. confusing. I love that Good stuff, um, but uh, who knows what direction they're going to go. Either way, that is a super fight that I know Dana White loves and many of the fans would approve of.
3: And you've got Henry Cejudo and Sergio Pettis going to fight in December, and it seems like DJ believes that his next flyweight contender would plausibly come out of that fight but of course T.J. Dillashaw with the big win now injecting himself into that mix and for T.J. you know both guys could have a, a chance to become a two division champion right like if I'm D.J. I don't know how much of a disadvantage it is Kenny to fight Dillashaw at 35 as opposed to 25 I know you think all these guys are super fast right but if I'm D.J. I might be like dude I'll come up and fight you at 35 so less to lose there I don't know um but I, I just hope we get or a see catch T.J. Weight. versus T.J. Say that again. Or a catch weight is another option. Maybe 130 yeah. pounds, right? Yeah. But uh, but but then you're not becoming a two-division champion, which yeah. I know would incentivize uh, for sure. Dillashaw for sure. So my video feed isn't great, but are you wearing an orange shirt in our orange studio? Is that what we got going on I, today?
4: I, I look like a prisoner. I didn't even realize that we have no an <laughs> orange background. But
3: all you could probably see is it. my giant head. I yeah. <laughs> <gasps> no, it looks good, kid. It's not <laughs> clashing, kid. It's certainly not clashing. So you're doing something right. There we go. Um, all right. Now it is time for the pronunciation of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, back by popular demand, TJ DeSantis, 1-0 after Ken Flo gifted him Ioannion Jacek last week. So today's fighter is on the main card this Saturday night on FS1. UFC middleweight, ultimate fighter, Brazil season one winner, Victor Belfort protege, who this weekend draws Nate, the great Marquardt. TJ Desantis, of whom am I speaking?
4: Cesar Mutanch. What's the last name, dog?
3: Mutanch. That's his nickname.
4: Uh, no, I
0: can't say the last name. I want to. I know it.
3: Well, the good news is you butchered his first name, so we don't even get to the <laughs> last name. Cesar. Uh, why don't you? Why, why don't you play the file for uh, for, our, for our wonderful listeners? Damn it, Cesar Mutante Ferreira. Cesar Mutante Ferreira. Perfect. It's exactly what it's, I said. It's, no, it's it's Caesar. It's not Caesar. He
5: says Caesar. What are you talking about?
3: Caesar. Either way, either way it's Caesar. Caesar Mutanchi Fajeda. 1 and 1 TJ. 1 and he 1. He didn't
4: even get the last name, so we can't give that. Didn't
3: to even him. weren't yeah. even willing to say yeah. the last name, yeah. which is what you You, are didn't, want have to say you didn't want to race. You didn't even want to race, so you're out.
4: Huh. <laughs> well, I mean, you um, gifted me last week, so yeah, you know. Exactly. Why do I even at play the game? Why out? do I even
3: play the game? 1 and 1. Uh, as they say, TJ, better luck next week. Let's make some picks, shall we? It's the
0: main event challenge.
3: Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win.
0: The main event challenge. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast.
3: All right, Team Flo led Team Anik eighty sixty nine heading into UFC 217. Ken Flo went head-to-head with famed sports better Gianni the Greek, and by virtue of his pick of TJ Dillashaw as underdog over Cody Garbrandt, Gianni the Greek takes the week for Team Anik 5-3. Lead now 83-74, heading into UFC Norfolk. And joining us to make picks today, Norfolk, Virginia, born. He'll be in the building this Saturday night. Podcast listener, Kyle Harris is with us. Kyle, uh, say hello to Kenny Florian, kid.
5: Ken Flo, I'm I'm here. I'm here. I'm here to win this thing. What's up, man?
3: (laughs) I finished fights! (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, fellas, uh, all told, we got seven picks to make for this show. The only time we've done more than that all year was UFC 200. So we'll take your analysis here, fellas, on the first four, and then all we'll need is just a pick on the final three fights I'm trying to make up some ground seven picks today. All right, first fight on the main card. So here we have one guy who Kenny Florian nearly choked unconscious and another guy who he viciously TKO'd via ground and pound. So we love this fight if we're, if we're Team Florian. Clay Guida, Joe Lozon. Nobody's laughing today. Hopefully the fucking <laughs> listeners thought that was funny. Clay Guida versus Joe Lozon. Um... So pick them fight here, guys. Both are at minus 110 at least right now. And I think both about as UFC tested as it gets. 25th UFC fight for both men. Lozon, 14 and 10 in the octagon. Guida at 13 and 11. Kyle, interesting fight here. Big fight for both sides. Who do you think wins in VA? Guida or Lozon?
5: Yeah, this is a really hard pick. Both guys are really fun to watch. Almost feel like the meeting um, is a little bit at a weird time in their career, like it should have happened sooner. But Lozon has been split in wins and losses for, like, the last five fights. So I think he's due for a win. Um, He's got great Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he hasn't submitted anyone since Jamie Varner in August 2012. Um, With that being said, I think the carpenter keeps an unreal pace and has great wrestling, but he's shown that he is susceptible to submissions. You know, I think Lozon gets him out of there with a choke.
3: All right, Ken Flo, you love this fight. I know you do.
4: This is, this is a great with fight. Both
3: these guys.
4: <laughs> this is a great fight, man. Um, this is a tough one for me. I, I think that if someone finishes the fight, I see Lozon getting a submission. If it goes the distance, I see Clay Guida just keeping that crazy pace and Lozon maybe fading later in the fight. Jeez. Um, I'll, go, I'll go with Clay, I guess, just to be different. Um, I'll go
3: with Guida by decision. All right, Clay Guida by decision for Ken Flo. All right, next up, we've talked a lot about this UFC Bantamweight division today. Never been better, and I think you have to say right now, Rafael Santos still belongs in that conversation among the elite. Two straight wins after that loss to Dillashaw at UFC 200 this summer. So now he draws Matthew Lopez, and I know at least one handicapper who thinks he's a live underdog this weekend. He's Arizona-born. He's tough as hell. Goes way back with Dominic Cruz, 10-1, and one, versatile finisher, and I guess he could take a sunsao spot in the top five here if he can spring the upset. So you're looking at minus two seventy, Kyle, for a sunsao plus two twenty for Matthew Lopez. Which way you go? You know, he's ranked number four. A
5: sunsao he could easily keep up with anyone in the top five. His last loss was to you know now again champ Killishaw. Um He's starting to get up there in age a bit, but I think his experience and skill are just going to be too much for Lopez. Give me a sunsao.
3: Yeah, All I right, got. Kyle's goes with uh Rafael Sunsau Kempfle. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I got to go with the Suniao as well. Um, I, I think this kid Lopez um has a very bright future. Uh, awesome wrestler. Actually, yeah, was inspired by Dominic Cruz, I believe, to get into mixed martial arts. Um, after being pretty successful as as a wrestler in Arizona, um, I, I think he is tough as hell. Uh, I I think he's got a great chin. Um, but uh, I think a Suniao's skills are a little bit too much. I think he's gonna be able to stop the takedowns, keep it on the feet, uh, and maybe uh, drop him for a TKO or, or, or get a submission here.
3: All right, next up, it'll be his 24th and final UFC appearance. Matt Brown, a minus 240 favorite here against Diego Nightmare Sanchez. Sanchez, at least right now, can be had in the plus 190 range uh, if you're interested. Kyle, who do you like here, Diego Sanchez or Matt Brown with one foot out the door? Man, let me just
5: say, what a time to be a fight fan. This fight should be crazy. I'm telling you, man. Well, I mean, I I think Brown is going to be the larger man here, and the dude is dangerous. Like, he's a killer, always looking for a finish. He's lost his last three and been finished, but it's been to elite competition. But let's be real, man. Sanchez is a psycho who's just not going to stop ever. Um, His heart is his biggest strength, in my opinion. He's also trying to bounce back from a bad, you know, knockout to raging out. Um Ain't no way this fight goes to a decision. If it does, though, um, I think it'll be Sanchez. Give me Sanchez. All
3: right, Diego Sanchez for Kyle. Ken Flo, what do you think here? Diego Sanchez taking on Matt the Immortal Brown in his retirement fight.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, Sanchez, a very inspiring fighter, uh, fights with a tremendous amount of heart. Um, I just don't think he's evolved enough or large enough to deal with someone like Matt Brown. And considering that Diego Sanchez wants to get to the clinch and and hit those takedowns, I don't think he's going to get it. And I think the strongest part of Matt Brown's game is his clinch game. Those knees and elbows are absolutely brutal. Wouldn't be surprised if I see a finish from that clinch with Matt Brown, uh, obviously inspired to be in his last fight here. I got to go with Brown.
3: And what a career it's been for Matt Brown. You know, he's one of these other guys, not unlike Michael Bisping, that I think we're going to miss when he's gone. I think one of the more memorable fights, Kenny, that you and I have called together was Matt Brown and Eric Silva yes. in 2014, that main event in Cincinnati. That fight had it all. And the fact that Matt Brown was able to rally in front of his home crowd and win that fight was absolutely incredible. So we'll see if Matt Brown can turn back the clock, so to speak, and, and go out a winner having lost at least his last two, I think, coming in here uh, as a two-to-one or so favorite against Diego Santos. All right, <laughs> main event, Anthony Showtime-Pettis won that return to lightweight by unanimous decision over Jim Miller. That was at UFC 213 in July, and I thought he looked pretty good doing so that night, Kenny, against Jim Miller. Here he's the minus 125 favorite against the slight minus 105 underdog Dustin Poirier. So Poirier on the other side, former featherweight as well, now seven fights into his return to 155 pounds, and he's only lost once in that stretch. That was the mi- the main event against Michael Johnson Last fight for Poirier. You may recall the no contest against Eddie Alvarez, a fight in which he got a ton of shit done. Um, Kyle, this is the main event. Therefore, we need a round and a method of victory. Dustin Poirier, Anthony Showtime Pettis, who do you like?
5: All right, John. Um, I wanted to see this fight for a long time. I think it's a good style matchup. Both like to strike. Both have sneaky submissions. Um, You know, on Pettis, though, he's only won two of his last six. He did look good his last fight, but... Um, you know, I'm glad he's back to the land of the living in 155, but I just think that confidence ah, that won him the belt is gone. Um, besides a knockout to Johnson, Poirier's been on a good run, winning, I think, five out of his last seven since he lost to McGregor. I think his confidence is probably at an all-time high, even after the Alvarez fight. I'm going to take the underdog for you. Uh, give me Poirier round three. Let's go TKO.
3: Gotta love Kyle Harris. I I can already guarantee you I'm bringing this kid back. And Actually, Kenny, this main event challenge has inspired Kyle and his friends to do a pick 'em contest of their own, picking all these fights. But see Kyle picking the dog for me because he knows I'm trailing? That's what we're talking about. (laughs) the Greek ain't bringing that to the table. Um, All right, Kenny Flo, (laughs) Pettis Poirier, what will it be here? Very close fight according to Las Vegas. Your thoughts on this main event coming up Saturday night? Well,
4: listen, I I don't know if you can judge uh, Anthony Pettis' career uh, based on his fights at 145 pounds. I I really don't. I think you're just a complete guy who went from one fifty five to one forty five. You're just not the same person. So um, Uh I I, I think Anthony Pettis um, is going to be a little bit faster. Um, I'm not sure Dustin Poirier necessarily has the advantage um, on the ground. Um, And and I'm not sure he can really take it there too much against Anthony Pettis. Um, I I think that Anthony um, has more variety with the striking Poirier. I think he's one of those guys who's not going to quit. He's going to be tough. He's going to be pressuring. But I think Anthony Pettis is going to have some tools to be able to counter repeatedly. Two southpaws going at it. I expect uh, Pettis to try to pick apart that lead leg uh, of Dustin Poirier. I'm going to go with Pettis here.
3: Can you give me a round of the yes, method, kit? That's right. that's right.
4: Let's go with... Uh, Unless you
3: don't want the points, of course, right. which is fine.
4: That's right. No, no. He I doesn't do, need them. I do want those <laughs> points. I need those points. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Pettis by decision.
3: That is by decision. I know you want me eating a Vegemite sandwich. Oh. Live on foxsports.com. I'm going spr- to spread that, that, that off thick, too. dog. I know you are, man. And no <laughs> butter underneath it nah, either. Nah. Um feel like I'm back at Theta Chi Fraternity getting hazed in the damn main event challenge. All right, new addition to the main event challenge, quick pick. So when a fight card warrants it, and this one certainly does, we're going to add some predictions without any lengthy analysis or reason for the play. So Kyle, Cesar Mutanchi Fajeda, he's won three of four, minus 149 favorite here against the 18-year pro Nate Marcourt. The Trevor Whitman trained Marcourt. We'll see if he can continue Nama Yunus' momentum. Marcourt plus 121, Kyle, which way are you going, Mutanchi or Marcourt? Give me Caesar, Caesar Faria. All right, Mutanchi for Kyle. Ken Flo, which way are you going?
4: I'm going to go with Marcourt.
3: I, I wonder what the hell Ken Flo's up to. He's got something up his sleeve. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> also on the main card, no betting line as yet. Andre Orlovsky, former UFC heavyweight champion, Kyle, trying to avoid a sixth straight loss. Uh, against the upstart junior Albini. Albini one and know in the UFC, but he's won his last ten overall. Kyle, you going Albini or Orlovsky?
5: Yeah, I don't see the losses changing for Andre, so give me Albini.
3: Kenny, which way are you going? Pitbull's listening. Junior baby, baby. But I love I love right. you, Pitbull. Well, <laughs> Please don't kill me. Uh, uh- Arlovsky's kids go to the same preschool as mine. So uh, I'm going to tell him this afternoon when I do pick up oh. that, uh, that you're taking junior Albini a jerk. Uh, and finally, uh, here's your featured prelim. Uh, when you hear the names, you're going to understand why we need a pick here. How about the former two time world flyweight title challenger, John Dodson, now a Bantamweight, of course, if you know, here, he tries to send Marlon, Morais to 0 two in the UFC. We'll proceed as if Dodson is the favorite. I'll adjust it accordingly. When the line comes out, if Morais is favored, uh, Kyle, what do you think here, Morais or uh, or John Dodson? Yeah,
5: Dodson's hard to pick against. Give me the magician. You, okay, Ken
3: flow which way? Um, I'm going with Morais. Morais for Ken Flo. Like All it. right, Kyle <laughs> Harris, dude. Appreciate appreciate your support of the show, man, and certainly uh, the time you put into the selections today, buddy. Uh, I guess you got to get back to work, but but we appreciate the time, my man.
5: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, real quick. Shout out to my wife, my fight buddies, Mike Hez, Watino, Ray, Louisa Martial Arts. And hey, Kenny, uh, congrats on that baby, man. It's the best thing that'll ever happen to you. And you guys call me anytime Ray Longo doesn't answer his phone, all right? I'll be
3: here. <laughs> You're the man. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, buddy. I right, appreciate it, man. Kyle's going to have sponsors before you know it. I know, Even right? Congratulating Ken Flow heady stuff there. Thank you very much, <laughs> Kyle, and, and, and all his buddies. Hopefully, listen to work tomorrow. We appreciate the support sincerely um, from all of you. All right, final thought on George St. Pierre and Michael Bisping and anything UFC 217 related, and then I'll give you mine. But when, <clears throat> when we were talking a long ago about this whole George St. Pierre thing and I suggested that maybe it was the athlete's adrenaline, Kenny, uh, and not any concussive damage right when St. Pierre couldn't recall immediately what had happened in the fight. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on on George and and how he may or may not have been impacted by what happened in the fight as to his recall uh, after it.
4: one hundred. Um. Yeah. No. Listen. I, I think uh, to your point, I've been in fights where I didn't really get hit, and I was like, "Wait, what, what just happened?" You know, things happen fast out there when you're in a fight in uh, a cage against another professional fighter. Things happen quick. Um, and the adrenaline's going, the excitement is going, and you're not quite sure. Like, geez, what what just happened? Um, that was mm-hmm. one of the cases against when I fought Kit Cope. I remember um that fight that T J picked against me uh, on. Um, it it all happened so quickly. I didn't even know what happened. So. <laughs> um yeah I'd have to watch the fight to go back and look and he didn't really land a shot by the way TJ. Uh and, and, and you know what <laughs> I, 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 was I, I I spoke to um you know one, one person very close to George St. Pierre who said he was absolutely fine. He was totally good. He was healthy. Yeah. He was just going to the hospital for precautionary reasons as he should um a- after a fight like that and um yeah so I just wanted to say that.
3: All right. And my final thought on UFC 217 and certainly apologies to James Vick and all the other big winners that we didn't have time to get to today. Mm-hmm. But Rose Namajunas, this is huge. And you heard her today. I mean, humble to a fault, just a, a really classy young woman. And I think she'll be a great champion for the UFC. And then for Ioana Jacek, right? We talked about how appreciable a setback this is. She's going to spend some time in Poland. Now, when Ronda Rousey lost to Holly Holm, Kenny, she would have been given the opportunity to have that rematch if she didn't want time away, right? That was a busy year for Ronda Rousey. If you recall, she turned around after the Betch-Cohea fight in August and fought Holly in November in Australia, no less. But I think for Ioana Yeun-Jacek, Jessica Andrade is waiting in the wings, and certainly on the strength of what she did against Cloud Gedelia, she is a worthy number one contender. But given what Yeun-Jacek has done as this division's most dominant champion, for the better part of two and a half years, don't you think, despite the fact that she got dusted here in just over three minutes, that that she is worthy of an immediate rematch if, if that's the direction in which the promotion chooses to go?
4: I don't think Andrade is the wrong choice, but yeah, absolutely. You defend that okay. bell for that many times based on what Yana has done. She absolutely deserves an immediate rematch, yes.
3: All right, good stuff today, kid little choppy for me on the audio end but hopefully it sounded good thanks to everybody at foxsports.com really enjoying uh the partnership i like that i can see kenny you know handsome guy no makeup today flo i know no no makeup maybe next week we'll see all right you look great. right now you thank you yeah i'm hurting for certain i guarantee you're going straight to me rocky bjj from here is that right believe that Thank God for Jason Hunt, right? Holding it down in your absence. (laughs) Never there working too hard. Um, All right. Thank you all for listening. Have a banging week, y'all. Hope you'll join us for Pettis versus Poirier this Saturday night. I'm on the call on FS1 with Paul Felder. And we will be right back with you coming up Monday with a full recap uh, and anything you need for that Sydney show as well. So with that. Ken Flo and T.J. DeSantis, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. Yo, later.
0: The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a T.J. DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.